At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. All right, welcome to the show today. I'm your host, Doug Crow, with the author of Brand Show. We feature the most interesting people you haven't met yet. You're going to meet one today. And I'm telling you, this guy is got, he's a, I mean, probably one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. Um, he's a former Heisman Trophy candidate. He's been on pro football, a um, bunch of teams there. Just a super great guy. And uh, boy, his, his, uh, his resume is so long, I can't go through the details of it, but I want to bring him to the show today, my good friend, Mr. George Jones, there he is coming on. How you doing, George? I'm doing great, Doug. I appreciate the kind words. You bet. My my pleasure. Hey, let me let me start by saying some statistics, and I'm going to give a little hint of what we're going to talk about, but not going to reveal the whole thing. Okay. And don't answer this question because you know already know the answer. Okay. The question is, and this is for the audience: What do these things have in common? Right. Yes. Teen suicide, drug abuse, runaways. Right. What do those three things have in common? other than that happens to the kids. What is the one thing there? What is it gonna be? Well, we're gonna find out today talking with Mr. George Jones. So before we get to that, I wanna hear about your uh, your past, your history a little bit, George. I mean, you've we'll get into the uh, the childhood stuff, but let's start off with the, the fun stuff. People you know you for being a uh, NFL great and uh, been on, which teams are Steelers and San Diego? Steelers, Steelers, Jaguars, and the Browns. Wow. We love Browns, of course. I'm from, we, were you with them when they were in Cleveland? Yes, yes. Sure. They had just they just come back, and we that first year they drafted uh, Tim Couch as quarterback. All right. Out of and what position did you play? Running back. Running back, Speedy yes. Gonzalez. That's great. Yes. What was the most fun thing about being an NFL player? Uh, I would say the camaraderie with the with the teammates. Yeah. And the practices, and just sitting in the locker room, just talking and i know it's hard for people to kind of grasp right. that but it the locker room is so tight mm. you're with these guys so much they're mm. more your family than your actual family because you're spending more time with them than you're spending with your um, you know your girlfriend your wife and your kids right wow so um camaraderie would you always talk about the game and stuff or what would you what was the camaraderie but what do you guys talk about well let's say if we uh, had like a, a running drill where we would do offense against defense. So if somebody got run over or somebody got juked or somebody got embarrassed in practice, people will probably talk about that. Or we may talk about what's going on for the uh, game that's coming up that weekend. Or somebody may say, oh, you guys want to go get something to eat? Or, you know, because it's just with a big old locker room with so much, uh, you know, diversity, you got, you know, pockets of, players here pockets over there pockets over there you know because you got the young the young players who you know are not married possibly don't have kids then yeah. you got the middle age who are married then you got the veteran more veterans that have families and yeah. being in the community and all that so you got three different levels of how people uh interact with each other so you know mostly yeah. the young people stay with the young people middle age stay with middle age and the vets stay with the vets Sounds like high school. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little, a little clicks there, huh? Yes, for sure. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I know you've had a, um, an amazing past, and I'd love for you to share with the audience 
Um, it wasn't such a bed of roses of just being a good athlete and getting into the NFL. It's a, a lot of young boys' dreams, mm -hmm. but you had some especially hard challenges. Do you want to give us a, a few minutes on what your back are like? Yeah, I'll give everybody an overview. So I'm a, you know, just like typical uh, African-American kid. I'm a snotty-nosed kid from that grew up in Woodland Homes in Greenville, South Carolina. Just like um, most kids who had a single-parent home, which I did, just had a mom and had two brothers and a sister. And, you know, times were tough. Didn't have a lot of money. My mother had a seventh grade education. Um, so we didn't have a lot. We had to, you know, uh, rely on the federal government for assistance throughout, you know, my first 18 years of living. But at that time, you know, that's all we knew. We knew we didn't have a lot. And we just stayed in our lane and stayed at what we do. But, you know, having to grow up like that you have to grow up quicker than you want to right and then you know i you know i hate to admit well i must say i hate to admit you know i seen drugs prostitution alcoholism domestic violence being bullied by my own family members myself so you know as a young person you see all that and people don't understand the trauma that goes with you the rest of your life and when you become an adult. Uh, and most people wonder why single parent uh, homes with kids, why the kids end up learning out bad with having, you know, a bunch of pregnancies and, you know, drug addiction and selling drugs, just all that because, you know, they don't have that father figure or male figure in the home to mm -hmm. uh, connect everything. So if you haven't guessed folks, that was a connection on the quiz today which is what do those things have in common, right? Suicide, drugs, and runaway kids. The statistics are like 60 to 70%, all those come from fatherless homes, right? Mm -hmm. Fatherless homes. And, and most people probably wouldn't believe that because they look at, you know, the parents in the home, most people will look at, okay, the mother are nurturers most of the time. Yeah. But for some reason, I think fathers, I, I, I'm just guessing, I'm not 100% on us that just, I don't know if it's the mentality of being a discipline or whatever it is that, you know, the studies have that if a dad is there, life is better for the family and life is better for the kids. Cause I don't, I need to look up a study and see was it, what is it when the mother is not in the home and it's just the father. Yeah, there's not, many, there's not enough research on that because it's, yeah. it's always the mom. Yeah. But yeah, I think the, um, you know, it's the whole, I, I'm going to guess here, but I think it's the, just having the role model, masculine mm -hmm. thing. And it's, you got to have, if you, if you don't have, if you only have one, it's by nature, it's imbalanced, right? It's yeah. nature, we're balanced as a family. So when it's imbalanced, it's imbalanced. Yes. How that turns out. That'd be good to look that up. I love that. So I, I love your story. You've, you've come from really hard times and you definitely, that was a very short version because I've heard the mm -hmm. long version mm -hmm. and it is dramatic and traumatic as you've yes. expressed. So tell us one of those vignettes. I think probably the one of the most, I don't know, emotional ones for me was your trip to the airport for the first time. That was, oh. you shared that because I'm like, yes. what? People need to understand the perspective and the way you tell it was like, it's really incredible. So let's share that with us, would you? Yeah. So um, 1993, it was time for, you know, I graduated high school, time yeah. to go to college. Now, let me go back a little bit. Yeah. Um, my 
freshman sophomore year i you know living with my my mom my sophomore year we got evicted so from my 11th and 12th grade year i was like homeless and i you know went from house to house with friends and stayed in their basement my last two years of high school so then from that point my grades plummeted so had nowhere to go to college and so uh, a, a player a friend on the team james Pugh, his dad somehow got some connection to bakersfield college mm-hmm. and uh, money back then you know there was no uh, faxes and emails and all that so mm-hmm. you send everything through the mail you got to wait about a week for it to come back and that's how we did it and money filled out all the paperwork for me and i was just telling him money i don't want to go because I, I i had never been on a plane one i had never left the city of greenville or the state of south carolina i had and to be honest i didn't even know or ever heard of bakersfield i never even heard of that you're going to mars yeah yeah and then when they told me it's thousands of miles away yeah. i was like man i i can't do this i i just didn't i didn't think that um that i can handle it emotionally mm-hmm. and california and south and greenville it was just so vastly different yeah and and this is not even la this is a small part of california and you know now the way bakerfield was is like the way it is now because i was probably ahead of my time because right now you see everybody they were fitted clothes that's how i wore them back then but that wasn't the style the style was the baggy pants and all that yeah, MC Hammer. And I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I had a really, really thick accent. But uh, to get back to the uh, question, I did not want to go there. I, you know, my guardian who took care of me, Money and Jackie Broom, I just said, I want to get a job here and I don't want to go. And Money and Jackie said, Nope, we already paid for the ticket, Flight 93, Delta Flight 93 to Los Angeles International Airport to Bakersfield, California. And on our way that morning, going to the airport and uh, Monty's, uh he had a silver Buick two-door and I remember riding in and I'm like crying saying money I don't want to go man please don't make me cool you know this, this, next, this tough football player yeah, his eyes yeah, that was the toughest thing I had to deal with football ever and, and you know back then Doug you can go up with a passenger to the gate there was yeah. no it was pre 9-11 yeah and yeah. so as we're going up, I'm sitting there just begging and begging and please don't make me go. And I remember, you know, having to get on the plane because the lady, the stewardess said, okay, last call, we got to get on because we had assigned seat. So yeah. it was not like anyone was going to take my seat. And I remember sitting, I had a window seat. I was sitting beside an elderly woman and I'm just sitting there bawling, you know, my just crying. And she was like, son, what is wrong? And I, you know, I explained to her what the problem was that mm-hmm. I didn't want to do. And she said, you got to, you know, believe in yourself. God wouldn't put yeah. you here, you know, go through that type stuff. Yep, yep. And I would say, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And I'm looking out of the window and I could see money in the, in the glass. I could see him. Yeah, I could see him. And then, you know, I, and I, and, um, he wasn't, uh, he was, he started to get emotional as, I could see it as the um, plane was starting to, you know, back up out of the gate and everything. And I was, you know, again, never being on a plane. I didn't know how that way going really fast and then going up because I was jumping and moving everywhere because I I had never experienced that. 
So once we was in the air, I, I was like, I just had so many things go through my mind. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I didn't, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. Because again, there was no cell phones, none of that way to communicate with anybody. So money wrote me a letter for an entire year, every week to oh, communicate with me. So he will send a letter from Greenville to Bakersfield, California. Back then it took like a week. Yeah, right. Mail to get now there. it takes a month. Yeah. So um, when I got it, I immediately wrote him back and then it will go back. And that's how we communicate. I didn't communicate with another soul from Greenville, South Carolina, but him. Wow. Yeah. And he told right. me, yeah. yeah, he said, George, if you can, I want you to go out there for a year. And if you don't like it after a year, you could come back. I'll get you. I'll help you get a job. And so, you know, you know, fast forward, everything worked out my freshman year and I loved it. I said, I said, big man, I'm not coming back. Nice. I said, but again, he, he knew something and saw something in me that I couldn't see at 18 years old. He, uh, uh, because I know that because it was another African-American friend of mine named Edward. He was offered to go to Bakersfield as well. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I don't want to do it. Monty, can you help me get a job back here? Monty said, okay, I'll help you get a job. Yeah. But Monty wouldn't, Monty and Jackie would not allow me to stay back there because they, they, they seen something that I couldn't see. Yeah. You know, I watched the movie, the blind side before I met you, yes. but as I'm watching that movie and listening to your story, we need to back up a little bit mm-hmm. and tell them how Monty came into your life because it was an actual angel as far as I'm yes. concerned. Yes. Right? So, so tell us about that one. So in 1987, his son, Nathan, yeah. We were in the seventh grade outside um, during um, we, we had this, you know, field day. Yeah. And so I dominated, like outrunning everybody. Yeah. And so Nate was like, George, you want to come over to my house and visit? And he's a white kid, white family. And I'm like, nah, nah, I don't and know. Just man. so people know, you didn't have yeah. any white friends at this point. This is completely. No, nah, I mean, I had the friends at school, but I had never been over to a white person's house. Right. Set the, so, set the stage, or yeah. Yeah. So. I'm, you know, you know how if, when you look at TV, they kind of not make fun, but they have like the nap, the like the the napkin, and then you got yeah. the fork, the spoon, and all that stuff. I had never seen nothing like that before. Yep. So he kept on asking me, and I said, "Yeah, I'll come." And you know, they, you know, after school, I rolled home with him and his mom, Jackie. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, having food there, and I was like, it, I was so scared. Because, you know, you got people who don't look like you. You've never really been around. And you're like, I hope I know how to fit in and do what they were doing. Because I'm looking at how their arm placement is, how they're doing with the fork, the knife. And I'm trying to mimic that as I'm eating. And so I can say from that point, it was uh, educational. They gave me an education on different races and being around different people much quicker than had I not met the brooms right i wouldn't know how to when i got to california yeah. i was already groomed with that that i can pretty much fit in with anybody yeah well so you know and as i went over there more and more i got more comfortable more comfortable more comfortable and monty made that really easy because he you know he he really him and jackie they took me in and took care of me like I was their own flesh and yeah. uh, blood son. So I, I like it was hard for me to grasp that because growing up, race relations were not good in, in South Carolina during yeah. that 
during yeah. the 80s. So, yeah. and, and I was like, wow, this man is, you know, he's saying all this stuff to me about I could be a good football player and all this. And I'm like, man, what is he saying to me? Is he like just trying to, you know, get something from me and all that? And mm -hmm. he had built my confidence up about myself so much. I believed every word that he said <laughs> uh, because I didn't, you know, because I hadn't at that time had a male figure to talk to me like that and give me encouragement because most of the time I could give you an example. Yeah. Um, he asked me, Nate, who wants to cut the lawn and on the ride along more? Nate said, man, I don't feel like doing it. I said, I'll do it. Now, mind you, Doug, I had never been on a ride along more before. <laughs> and I'm just remembering watching them yeah. do it. So I was doing a pretty good job by going down, turn around, down. Yeah. So when it got to going around the mailbox, I didn't know how that turn was going to be. Yeah, that tough. And I couldn't stop the lawnmower, and it just cut down the whole mailbox. Cut down the whole mailbox. And and when that happened, I'm like, oh, my God. He is about to yell and scream at me. He's going to tell me I'm no longer welcome to come over here. And I was like, I was like uh, petrified. I was scared to death. And he came over. He said, George, I appreciate you volunteering to do this. That's what I'm most proud about that you actually did this. And I'm like thinking in my head again, usually I get a whooping or get in trouble for that. Yeah. And this man that doesn't look like me, don't have no economic or social background like me, yep. gave me praise and said, I appreciate it. And so he said, George, the mailbox can be replaced. That's right. And, and to this day, I was just back there um, last April yeah. and I took the boys, the family, Katie, everybody over to the house and that stomp that I knocked down 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago is still in the yard under the grass and the mail got a new mailbox that was put in in 1987 right there. So it, it, it was pretty crazy uh, for that to happen. But the, the biggest thing that has ever happened to me in my life is the day I went over to the Brooms house and Monty and Jackie accepted me um, for who I was and saw something in me that I didn't see. I don't know where, I know I wouldn't be talking to you right now had I not right. met them and I refused to go over there. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, going into my eighth grade year, Monty asked me, do I want to play on Nate's team? Again, I had never played with white kids sports. Um, so I was like, well, <laughs> I don't have money to pay for it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. We'll pay for registration. I said, I don't have no equipment. Don't worry about it. I'll get your equipment and everything. Again, I'm like, it, it just, it was hard. Yeah. To, it was hard to, to just process everything. Yeah. It's hard like, to receive when you've never, when you've never received anything. So when you start having someone offering something, like you said, without expecting anything in return, mm -hmm. you're looking for the angle, like, what does he want? What does he want? Like, nothing. He's just, and, and, oh, yeah, yeah, right? and, and that's what I, Doug, that's what I had a hard time with because as I went through this with uh, Monty and Jackie, I would pull away because they was trying to love me really, really hard and give, yeah. and I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm -hmm. I, I don't trust it. I will pull back. And then I will come back on my own time when I felt it was okay and safe. They uh, take me back in with all the yeah. love and everything. And then I will go back again and say, nah, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And they never gave up on me. 
Never. How long did it take you to accept their, their gifts? Well, it wasn't about accepting the gifts. It was about accepting the love because at that okay, time, yeah. I hadn't had people to like really say, man, you know, I love you. I care for you. And they didn't have to say it with the word is how they was treating me. Right. And so I, I just like, I was like, man, this is, uh, it, it was just, I don't know. Um, I think by the time I got into high school, mm -hmm. uh, it was still kind of, kind of difficult because life was still uh, rough because we, yeah. I would play a great game in high school and then, you know, we'll, everybody be on the field and all the parents would sit here and say, George, that was a great game. You're an amazing yeah. football player. And I'm like, thank you, ma'am. And in the back of my mind, I'm looking at her son and like, I wish I had his life. I wish I had his life. Two parent home, nice home, food, TV, clothes, everything. Now, three hours after this football game, I'm getting driven about 30 minutes from school and and dropped off in the blue van up at the top of my complex where I live at. And then once I get out of that van and walk down the street to where my apartment was located, reality sticks, uh, comes back in. Wow. What I did three, four hours ago don't mean the hill of beans. You're back in the real world in reality and so like that's just, life yeah yeah and that's just how it was so um it you know it, it was just it'll go that quickly you yeah. know why <laughs> you know you got ready to go home and and at that time the coaches didn't want to take us home because after the game everybody was ready to go home yeah. somebody was responsible for taking all the kids who live away from the school home because yeah. we didn't have transportation to get us to and from there unless mm -hmm. it was the bus. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. There's a lot more to your story. I know it's in a very, uh, very popular best-selling book. You want to hold that book up there? Yeah. The present dad right the present there. Yeah, baby. There it is. Forward by my good mentor and good friend, Archie Manning. Archie Manning. That's yes. right. Archie yes. Manning. One of the best human beings out there. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. Cause all of our authors want to, you know, obviously we appreciate your, uh, all your vulnerability with your story and whatnot, and mm -hmm. people love the, the sports thing. But um, I'd like to hear how you approach Archie, because we're looking at somebody who's like mm -hmm. basically, you know, a real celebrity, him and his sons, mm -hmm. of course. And you just pick up the phone and call him, I think. How'd it go when you ask well, him? Well, now I could just pick up the phone or text him, but yeah, uh, I would say about six, seven years ago, you know, um, Katie, I asked Katie, I said, Katie, with DJ, with oh, yeah. DJ, my wife Katie, who's CEO yeah. of the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Mm -hmm. I said, Katie, can you, when I'm uh, coaching the boys or and they're playing games, can you record? Because I want to have the recording so when they get older and they have their own kids, yeah. they can show their kids what they look like and played at three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. So as I'm going back and I'm looking at it, I'm like, who is that? guy out there i look i was a lunatic i was loud i mean and i like i felt so horrible yeah as a person and as a father i'm like looking at it because i'm looking through the eyes of a former professional running back and i'm having and i'm saying gj why can't you see what i see and gj was giving his his best he was giving as much as he had in his little body at uh. that time 
And I just kept trying to get more and more when there was nothing left. Yeah. And I felt really bad. I still, to this day, apologize to Gigi about that. Yeah. And so I felt that my relationship with the boys was like widening, not for good. It was, you know, widening yeah. that way. Yeah. And so about a week or so after that, I was looking at, I was on ESPN watching TV and I seen this show, this documentary called The Book of Manny. Right. And it's about the uh, the Manning family, starting with Archie, who uh, talked about his relationship with his father uh, and his father who never said he loved him and all that. And so when he ended up having uh, his sons with his uh, wife, college um, uh, sweetheart, Olivia, yeah. you know, they had Cooper first, then they had Peyton, then they had Eli. Yeah. So I'm looking at it and, you know, they're going up there with them to the Saints and back at Ole Miss and, and, you know, family films with them playing in the backyard. And Archie is just calm through all of this. He's not yelling. He's not screaming. He's not putting in a bunch of expectations. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I'm getting emotional watching it. And I'm like, wow, man, that's the type of father I need to be. So I reached out, got in contact with Archie, and we played phone tag a couple of times. And then he called me. And we were on the phone for about three hours, and I just said, full transparency. I said, Archie, I will, you know, love for, for you to mentor me and help me to be a better father like you. And I said, this is how I am as a father. This is how I am as a coach. This is how I am at football games. This is how I am with everyday life. Can mm. you help me to be a better father so I can be closer to my kids, my boys? Yeah. And so he started giving me little tips on what he did with Cooper and Peyton yeah. and Eli. And he said, okay, try some of this and then, you know, call me back in a couple of weeks. And then we could, if that doesn't work, we could try something else. And so once I took the information and put it in my toolbox and I started implementing it in my day-to-day -day life, the relationship with me and the boys went from like one to a thousand. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, wow, like, again, you know, somebody who was very successful as a football player, and now he's very successful as a father. Mm -hmm. and he told me that he was the way he was because he didn't want to be the father that his father was to him. Right. And so, and that basically is the same thing to me. I didn't have a father growing up. So yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought. And I was in, in, in Doug, I was, I hope people can understand. I was fathering, being a father to the boys on the type of father that I wanted for myself, which is I wanted a, a father that was very demanding in sports that, you know, that drove me, that pushed no. me to go my absolute, the boys wasn't ready for that. Yeah. yeah. And so I didn't know that I had to father and parent them a different way. And so seeing that documentary and talking to Archie and him helping me, uh, it, it's one of the greatest things in the world to me. And I'm just just grateful just to know him and, you know, be friends with him and the family mm -hmm. and being able to pick up the phone anytime I, I need to, to just ask a question. Wow. And him, you know, writing a foreword for the book is just, yeah. he, he was like honored. And I'm like, I was shaking to death to even ask him. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, so... Him, like Monty, him, and Coach Bowser at Bakersfield 
are the three men who was most influential in my life as a human being, as a football player, everything. Yep. Those three guys. And the three and the three commonalities with the three is they're older white men that don't look nothing like me. <laughs> and, and that's the one yeah. thing that I, that I want to get out to people who are listening to this. Just because somebody is your family member biologically by blood doesn't mean they are the right person to lead you. You go off of how individuals treat you. That's how you base how you want people to be in your life. Not because you have to say, well, they're my brother or they're my uncle. I have to be close to them. No, you don't. If That's they right. don't treat you the way you need to be treated, go and get and find somebody to treat you that way. They can, They don't have to look like you. They don't have to be in the same economic or uh, social mm -hmm. class as you. Go and, again, ask for help. Don't yep. be afraid to be vulnerable as a man to ask another man, could you please help me to be a better husband and father? Yeah. And that's probably one of the topics I know you want to cover. So let's get into that. You talk about emotional health and, you know, we know the stereotypes, you know, men mm -hmm. are, you know, hey, don't be like a girl and you're not supposed to cry and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And we talked before about that at one movie, um, Fatherhood. And yes. you said you couldn't, you couldn't even finish a movie. It's like, mm -hmm. I can't even watch this thing. Yes. Done, by the way, I love yes. it. But um, tell us about your 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 perspective on that, and give us some uh, advice on how we can help ourselves be vulnerable and still retain our uh, you know machismo. Well, I, I would say for me, a lot of it goes back to you know how you were raised your childhood, mm -hmm. and for me, I was I was one of those. Um, I had a lot of emotional trauma, and I didn't deal with it until my forties because I was afraid to ask people for help because. Mm -hmm. You know, playing football is a very ego-driven sport. Just like you said, when a little kid falls down or he's playing in the game, he get the wind knocked out of him. What do you hear the father say? Get up and stop crying. Uh -huh. They yeah. say that 99% of the time. Yep. So I, I, me and Katie tried to teach the boys it is okay to feel sad, mm -hmm. be happy, to be angry, to be frustrated. Mm -hmm. Show your emotions because the, I think that's a sign of growth. Yeah. I do. And so as I was going through me and you with you guys doing mm -hmm. the book and, yeah. and writing everything, all the stuff that was just buried in my subconscious for 40 plus years start to rear his ugly head. And so, so I'm also a therapist and a publisher apparently, right? So yeah. Yeah. So then from that point, I started, yeah. you know, I had before that, four years before, you know, we come together to do the book, I had already been diagnosed with depression, anxiety. Yeah. But again, I was one of the people who had the ego that said, nope, doctor, you're wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, I'm not listening to you. So when it came back, like right at, you know, it was right during COVID, right after COVID, mm -hmm. it, it, it was it was too much for me to handle. And I had to make a decision as a man and as a father and family man and husband, am I going to get the help and ask for help? Or am I going to just sit here and keep this to myself so people wouldn't look at me in a certain way and stigmatize me? So I just said, you know what? I'm going to do this so I can be the best possible husband and the best father to, the, to our three boys. Right. And it has been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I, I, I promise you, Doug. At first, I didn't believe in what the doctors were saying. And because he was like, you know, uh, George is going to take 
four to six weeks for the you know medication to work. I said, Doc, I ain't got four to six weeks. I want I need to be able to function now. And so with with, with hard work and you know being diligent, and I attacked this just like I attacked football and fatherhood. I gave it the same the same respect. And so now it's been so. I think it happened last about September. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, you know, we're going on a year now and it's, it's been the greatest thing. Uh, nice. I mean, life is just so, just so much calmer mm-hmm. and at peace. And, you know, I, I, I was one of those type of individuals that I was in so much pain and silence that I would welcome a confrontation with anybody. Mm-hmm. And so, because I was like, if I got in a, you know, fight or something with this person, yeah. I can make this person feel the pain that I'm in, make them feel the pain that I feel mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And so now I no longer feel that pain. Now, mm-hmm. uh, confrontations and yelling and getting in arguments, I don't do it. If somebody yeah. is driving and they stick up the middle finger, yeah. I would usually go crazy. Now yeah. I just feel like this. I just wave. I smile. Yeah. And I just keep on going. And I just feel so at ease now. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have did this earlier in life. But you know, it didn't happen for me. But I'm, I'm. That's why I'm here to tell my story and my right. journey with mental health to everybody who wants to hear it. Yeah. You know, if you don't want to hear it, you don't have to listen. But I'm going to say it as many times as I can because it has done wonders for me. It's made me a better human being, a better mm-hmm. father, a better husband. So I'm going to continue right. to tell as many people as possible, and hopefully, you know, we can help young people like high schoolers and stuff at an early age. So they don't have to wait and get help like I did in my course. Right. So I know when we first started about talking to the book, you're really a little bit hesitant about doing the book. Um, So your message is obviously about mental health and fatherhood or what's, what's Mm -hmm. the main message? Mental health and fatherhood, because I think they go hand in hand. Right. Because I don't think I could have been a good father had I not tackled these issues with mental health right so i think it goes hand in hand especially if you if you as a young person has had a lot of traumatic things going in your young childhood and seeing domestic violence and and drugs and Uh and all the stuff that you know us kids that come from the projects right on a daily basis right and i know you got some really good tutorials there too in the book some things that people actually not just not just hear your story but you guys can very clear things a person can do to become a better father. So yeah, the uh, seven pillars. Yeah. You want to just don't give all seven. I would say I'll give active and I will get steadfast. All right. So steadfast, steadfast is my favorite. So yeah. active. Most of us as fathers, we, a lot of them say, this is the hardest one. And people are like, why would the hardest one be active? Because you got people who work two or three jobs, mm-hmm. they got a bunch of kids, and then when they go to work and get out work, they are just bone tired. Yeah, I want to go to sleep. I want to do nothing. Mm-hmm. But in order for us to be the best possible father to our kids and to be there for the long haul, we have to have some type of activity mm-hmm. in our life, whether it's walking, meditating, start with hydration, making sure you drink enough water throughout the day, and then the mm-hmm. more you can do it and uh up the levels to you know walking one lap or walking a half a mile a quarter mile a day just Mm -hmm. getting some type of exercise so 
you can be there and see your kids grow up from little kids up to uh, young adults and they have their family that you can sit there and teach them what you've learned through the through all the years yeah that 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 that's the one that most people say is the hardest one and my favorite one yeah is steadfast mm -hmm. which is delayed gratification mm. most young people even me included when i was a young person i wanted to be fast big strong right now i don't want to yeah. wait i don't yeah. want to i don't want to work for it or anything and so i try to tell and relay that to our boys about delayed gratification you don't want to peak and get everything given to you so early in life like eighth grade ninth grade because yeah. once you get all that you have no work ethic and no reason to work the last three years of high school so if you're steady yeah. improving your freshman year sophomore year junior year and then you at your maximum peak your senior year you would enjoy it more and it would be more gratifying for you because if you again i hate using sports as an example right. if an individual works his way and getting a power five scholarship to college when he gets to college he will be more prepared than that person who got a scholarship in the eighth grade because that person hasn't probably worked hard in like four years yeah. But we have to consciously, consciously chip away each year. And I get, I use Michael Jordan as an example. Mm -hmm. If Michael Jordan can wait to the 11th and 12th grade to get the gifts from God and the stuff be bestowed upon him, mm -hmm. everybody else can wait. That's right. Because everybody know his story got cut from his uh, varsity team, went home crying. Mom said, get back up and start working. Yeah. And now his work ethic took him all the way to the great things that he does now. So delayed gratification, steadfast is my favorite one mm -hmm. because I think everybody should work hard and not chase something. Work hard, be a good son, daughter, be a good human being, and hopefully the gifts are bestowed upon you when the good Lord and others think you have earned the right for them. Love that, man. I, I, I That's that great closing to the show. Hold the book up again. Tell people that. The Present Dad by George Jones, four by Archie Manning, seven principles to make you a better dad, a better person. Oh, thank you very much, George. Appreciate that. And in the show notes below, you can get a click, you can, a link to his book, as well as your foundation. So let's close on that, George, and let people know how they can actually help the cause of getting more present dads and a, and a better um, better society here. Yeah, the, the Present Dad Foundation, uh, we just started it last year. It's doing very well. And our job and our goal is to help other fathers who were previously like me mm -hmm. to be more present dads in their kids' lives right now. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not asking them to go from one to a hundred. We're asking them to go from one to two to three to four. So just try to make some little changes again. For example, if you or with your son or daughter and they say dad can we go outside and shoot basketball mm -hmm. if you go out there with your son or daughter put your phone in your pocket put the computer down yep. and participate and be right there with your son or daughter because those precious times your daughter and son will never forget it That's right. but what they what they will remember is i'm doing that and you texting you're yeah. on your laptop they will remember that they will right. remember so I, I mean again it's hard to turn that switch and 
you know, go from being a, you know, you're, and now, Doug, you're there present in human form, but I'm saying being present mentally as well. Yeah. Knowing what's going on in your kids, like being in tune on what's going on on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. That's what I think uh, we're trying to do here and help Mm -hmm. other guys uh, to get closer and be present uh, dads to their kids, because I think, and I believe all kids should have a present dad. I, yeah. I really do believe that because we just did the studies earlier mm-hmm. about dads being in the home, yeah. the, the the chances of that kid being successful, 80, yeah. 80%. Yep. The chances if the father is not at home, it goes down a lot. And most times the kid ends up with the pregnancy, drug addiction, right. all that stuff. So alcoholism. Yep. So yeah. I, I, you know, I challenge every guy to try to be a better father and be mm-hmm. more present for their son and daughter. Outstanding. I love it. So the link for the foundation is below. I'm going to make my donation right now, as I promise you, George. Yeah. Uh, present Dad Foundation, as well as his book. Check it out, George. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having the show today. Yeah. So it'll be the present dad, the present dad.com slash foundation. You got it. It'll be right yeah. there below. So we have shown us here below. The ring, so. Okay. Well, All right. I look forward Doug, I appreciate you having me on the show. You bet. As you know, it's awesome to talk to you whenever we can. You I'll be it. looking for the donation. I'll tell you when I receive it. I appreciate right. everything. Tell your lovely wife, Jen, I missed her today and continue to do great things uh, with you guys. You got it. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Thank you, buddy. All right. You bet. That concludes the show for today. Check out his book and make sure you uh, donate to that foundation. It's going to help out the world. And uh, who knows? You might, you know, it might not be as a, uh, angel like his friend Monty, but you can definitely make a difference. So appreciate you. Have a good time and see you next time. All right. Good job. We're going to keep rolling here. Wonderful. Yeah, um, we have a, a, another client um, in Austin now. Oh, do you? A software company. So there's a good chance I might be down there to actually shoot some video for them. If I do, I'll let you know. We'd love to come out and take you guys to dinner or something. So Yeah, yeah. You and Jen, come on now. Yeah, keep post on that. So um, as I told you beforehand, I'm going to do this uh, marketing thing for um, all my clients. So I'm trying to podcast today. What I want to do is keep the recording going here and just um, just talk freely about what it was like working with me and how it's changed um, your life. Because I remember yeah. very clearly, I don't, have the, I don't have the video here, but I remember what you were very nervous about. Is anyone going to listen to me? Can I be really be an author? You got a lot of doubts about the yeah. whole process. Yeah. And yeah. now you're like on Ebony Magazine. You got a TEDx talk. You're like a rock star. Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to go back and tell us about what it was like beforehand, like nervous, unsure. And now you're like, you know, celebrity. Yeah. So, well, it all started from my um, friend, David Granger. Mm-hmm. He reached out to you and said, I got a buddy who wants to write a book. And then you contacted me mm-hmm. and then we started talking. And I remember I was like, man, I don't know, Doug, man, this is, I don't know if I want to do this. And it had nothing to do with like cost or nothing like that. It was that I did not think. It could be successful. And you kept saying, George, I'm telling you, it's going to be a hit. You're going to do well. You you got a story that people want to hear. 
And you know, just like most people, they're like, yeah, he's just saying that, so he it isn't. And but everything you said came true. Everything you said came true. You was if I needed something or needed to text you about something, you hit me right back like that. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I had never been down this road before, and you was, I mean, I could honestly say out of anybody that's ever I've used for services, mm-hmm. I've never had a hard time getting in contact with you. You giving me what I needed in a timely fa- fashion and the staff that you had, they was just amazing with Jen and uh, uh, your current wife now and all the people who uh, was working with us through this whole process. It was just amazing. And yeah. Doug, and, and um, I appreciate, you know, you taking the time to encourage me to do this. Mm-hmm. You taking the time to believe in my story and believe in uh, what I was trying to get out to the public. And I don't think it could have went any seamlessly uh, with with anybody else. You did an amazing job on making sure everything went out according and how it was supposed to go out on time mm-hmm. on Father's Day. It was a big hit. It became yeah. bestseller. So you, it, it was just an amazing time. And I'm and I'm incredibly thankful that the first person that my friend emailed on LinkedIn ended up being a hit because I didn't even go to anybody else. That's what we like it. Um, thank you so much for those words. That mean a lot to me. And and I, um, to be really clear, I don't always tell everybody I believe in them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, you know, I, you I know, know it sounds like a sales yeah. thing, but you, you'd be surprised. Some people are like, uh, no, you need your story. Your story yeah. isn't interesting. Yeah. Yours definitely is. Yeah. Um, can you give us a little clue on, I'm really, I was so impressed with what you've done since the book came out because a lot of people, they might write their own book or have us write their book, but they don't do anything with it. You've taken this whole platform foundation. You've been a TEDx talk. You're on, you know, Ebony Mag, Ebony Magazine yeah. Radio. You've done so much with that. Give us a rundown of all the things that have happened to you since you've become a, a best-selling author. So once you know we got the 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 notion that we were best-selling authors, mm-hmm. then we started doing a little uh, publicity with you when I did the first on your on the. Uh, on the podcast yeah. and then from there when it was on linkedin people were just like wow we're just fascinated with your story yeah. and who's your author who's who who wrote everything and then i will go on i will tell about my interactions with you and then it just kept going from little stuff to media right. stuff like you said the ebony where they got yeah. millions of people mm-hmm. uh, viewing it and you know i went on there and you remember i told you beforehand you know, I, I'm doing this with a female and, and I'm very nervous. I hopefully I do well. And you was like, George, you're going to knock it out of the park. I love you. <laughs> yeah. Then I went from there. Then I remember I went out to Alabama yep. and I had to speak at the thing out there and things just kept uh, going, getting better and better. But I think it's you guys pushing everything and putting mm-hmm. it on LinkedIn. And that's where I got all the traction from was on LinkedIn. Yeah. When you guys start pushing it on there and then people we just come out of the blue. Can you come on the podcast? Can you talk about this and that? And it just grew, it just blew up. And, and right. again, that's because of you guys having a wherewithal on knowing where to put it at to yeah. get the most views and to get the biggest attraction uh, from it. That's right. I'm, I'm very, very grateful to work with you. What's, um, when is your TEDx talk coming up, by the way? When's it going to be? It's April 29th. I got to be out there April 28th and we will do like all the um, speakers you know, we'll gather, do networking, meet yeah. each other. And then I speak, well, all of us speak on April 29th and I'm in the uh, prime time. 
Nice. Like, um, the, yeah. I'm, well, they said it's premiere time, whatever. That's my spot. It's a good so time. So I'm going to go time. out there and basically I'm going to tell my story, Doug. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's basically what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell my story about who I am, fatherhood, dealing with mental health, and right. bringing it all together to where I'm at now mm-hmm. and telling everybody, look, I'm no different than you. I've gone through all this and I've come out on the, the mm-hmm. positive side of this. Right. Every right. every father can do this if he wants to really do it. It's mm-hmm. all of but, but it took a lot of hard work and it took a lot of me being vulnerable, letting other people know that I've had a lot of failures in life and I got a lot of flaws, but I didn't let that dictate how right. I was going to live the rest of my life and how yeah. I was going to be as a father. Right. And you've also had um, discussions with Netflix and Tyler yes. Studios and stuff. There's like a lot of things percolating here too, right? Yeah, a lot of things percolating, and you know, um, and I, uh, uh, we're just going to keep, you know, doing the best work we can for people and putting the best content and the best mm-hmm. stuff out to the public. And again, like before we started the show, if we help one person, yeah. then we've done a, we've done a good job. If you can help one person with being a better father, being a better husband. Mm-hmm. or mental illness with their struggles and journeys to go get themselves help yeah. and um, so they could be a better person in life. Yeah, outstanding. That's really great. Do they have someone to help you with the TED Talk or do you just go out and just do it or do they have a... No, no, no. I So Katie did everything, the writing, because she's been with me my whole life, so she know everything. Okay. Right. So basically, it'll talk about who I am, then it'll go into um, me being the, why the word that three letter word dad is just a simple word to a lot of people because they've said it so many times. I never got to say that. Then I go, yeah. And then you go into, you know, middle school, high school. Mm -hmm. Then I go into college and then I go into GJ as a teen and then like all that type of stuff like that. And I tell about, so I'm going to tell about, you know, like I'm it'll start off. I'll give you a, a quick, it'll start off. What do you see when you look at me? You yeah. see a committed husband, a stay-at-home father, a caretaker to a son with special needs, mm-hmm. a person who's never touched drugs or alcohol, mm-hmm. a person who cries, a person who courageously uh, fights, um, courageously attacks mental health struggles like anxiety and depression, and an avid fan of Grease 2. Yes, you heard me, ladies and gentlemen, Grease 2. I'm all of those things, but when I'm out in the public, grocery stores, wherever it may be, most people come up to me all the time and ask me, did you play football? That's right, because you're- Yeah, and I say most of the time people do that because of my physique, and my response to people is no. (laughs) I'm just a dad, and that word right there, dad, is a simple word to most people, Mm -hmm. to me. It's a different word because I only heard that word when my friend said it in high school and I and I was envious of all of them. Uh, and then I'll go on about not have like. You're going to kill no. it. You're going to kill it. When that thing is done, I wish I could come out. The way I, we're, we bought a house. We're moving on the 27th of April. Nice. Otherwise, we'd, uh, we'd definitely come down there and see it. But when the recording's ready, make sure you submit recording. Well, well, well what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you, I'll send you the link. You'll yeah. let us see it live. Yeah, yeah, send me the link. But yeah, I'm watching recording. When I build this page of my authors of influence, which you'll be one of them, mm-hmm. it'll be your, your TEDx talk, 
the podcast, new press release, like I said. Yeah. And we're going to do that. Uh, there'll be a whole lot of content. We're going to cut it up and send it every day for a whole month. So it'll really, you'll see, okay. you'll see a boost in your profile when we roll that. I, I don't know what it. month it'll be, but okay. it'll be sometime this year. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Uh, uh, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. To be on with the great Doug. Oh. Yeah, like I said, I miss Jen. I, I was I was hoping to see her and ask her about her exercise regimen. She's still doing it. Oh, shit. We're both in trouble. We're both in trouble there. <laughs> hey, Jen, you have a second? George wants to say hi before we hang up. She's very busy, but she wants to say real quickly, say hello, I guess. Okay. So you guys, so you guys buying a house? Is it a brand new house or is it? Yeah, it's brand, brand new construction. The problem with the exercise was we got a dog back in uh, a few months ago and it's like the schedule got all whacked out. So it's an, it's an excuse. There, 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 there she goes. The, the, the one and only Jen. Oh, he wants to say hi. George. How are you doing? It's okay. It's so hot here. Jen, I, I, I asked Doug to put you on the, you know, I wanted to see how your exercise regimen has been going. Remember the last time we talked, you was talking about, you know, you got to keep yourself in great shape and, and everything. And I was wondering I'm how sorry, Mary, the is bad right now. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. There's a lot of things we can discuss today. Um, <laughs> Let's put this aside. This stuff, you know. Let's oh. put this subject on. Yeah. it's embarrassing, my friend. It's embarrassing. Hey, I got to go. Hey. Well, Jen, look, Jen, you're married now. You've got you. You know, you've got the catch. So, hey, you just relax now. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that, we Jones. Just, we, we've started our low carbs since yeah. Monday. Low carbs since Monday. No alcohol, and uh, and I'm gonna get back in my get back in my weight training again so yeah i would just say i would say now don't go too crazy with the low carbs because yeah. usually if you go too crazy you're gonna break eventually and eat something with a lot of carbs and then you're gonna right. be like yeah i'm gonna eat this again i will start back tomorrow and oh, i would yeah, I said that for a year yeah. yeah yeah and that's what i'm saying and so i would just say basically so undisciplined like portion portion yeah. portion portion that's all you got to do just portion out the food and make sure if you're eating out you don't get two hamburgers and two things of fry. You get one hamburger and one fry. And we're gonna, and we're gonna come. We're gonna hopefully see you this month, and we'll uh, you can you can you can smack us around some more. Yeah, good. I try. I'm I'm still doing what I always do. I know so, cardio yeah. at night, weight training. I know. Yeah, that's why we're. I can't get out of shape because GJ GJ and Cooper won't allow it. Good. That's good. Why? Yeah. I, I have a dog that won't allow it. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I'm so happy for you guys that's getting the house and everything. Yeah, I told me got a house. We have a so, Jen, you, so, Jen, you you in the States forever now. You're not going to leave and be going to another country. Uh, no, 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 no. She got a green you? card last week. Nice. So, we're, we are able to go to another country, but okay. that's He's like... <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah. Now, so we're, uh, who, whose dog is it? Who, who, who does the dog like the most? She... Yeah. I don't know why, because I'm the one that takes it out more and plays with it. But she, uh, I don't know. They, they got I can't even. I don't have no room in my bed. We got three dogs and Katie in the bed, and I get like a, a edge of no. the bed. We we had her sleep in the bed for the first three months, and then like two weeks ago, we're like, screw this, <laughs> get out of here. I thought it'd take her two weeks to learn. And one night she was retrained not to go in the bed anymore. Nah, man, our dogs, they, they'll sit there at the door and whimper all night and do all that. So I'm like, man, I ain't got, I don't feel like hearing this, man. I got to go to bed. Oh, yeah, pick your battles. All right, I, yeah. I got to get another call, my friend. All I right, will um, be in touch. I'll have this thing organized for us, and we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Yeah.
Jen, nice seeing you again. Nice seeing All right. you. Yeah, have a good one. Good. Thanks. Congrats on the house. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, buddy. Bye-bye.